Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to thank the sponsor for this show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Well, today I'm so excited to have joining me as a guest. Uh, He's now a good friend of mine, a fellow student with me at Northeastern Seminary, and also the, the current lead pastor at New Life Ministries in Endicott, New York. I want to welcome Joe Wickman to the show. Joel, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. Well, let's get right into it, Joe. I'd love for you just to share with us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you're from, your background, and what you felt your uh, call into the pastoral ministry was. Sure. I grew up in um, a kind of medium-sized town in upstate New York, uh, outside of Binghamton, New York, and um, grew up right on the same street my folks grew up in. Uh, And so the church that they started taking me to in 1984 is the church that I got saved in. Mom got baptized in and has really kind of that little neighborhood church impacted the course of my life and our whole family's life. So that church is the church that became new life. And I'm sort of an oddball in our free Methodist world because, um, all these years later, I get to pastor the church I grew up with grew up in and that now has uh, a community wide reach and we hope someday has a regional reach all right so yeah so what did uh so going from there so now you're in the church that you grew up in uh but in your as part of your story like when did you kind of feel that call to be a pastor was hmm. i think it was in my late teens when i was starting to have to make life altering decisions. So it wasn't just who was I going to play with on the playground or, you know, what were my friends going to be like? I started looking down different roads that life could take me. And, you know, I was the typical kid. Um, I grew up in the church. I learned all the Bible stories, but uh, I was looking at the pathway that kind of a lot of my friends and people I cared about were walking and I sensed the Lord saying, hey, um, it's time for you to decide if you're functionally going to follow me with your whole life. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be just something you pay attention to on Sunday, or are you going to actually let me direct and let my truths shape your whole life? So um, that came to a head the summer I turned 18. And uh, I got baptized that summer. It's kind of a funny story. I, um, on my 18th birthday on June 5th, 1994, I saw a Metallica concert in Syracuse, New York with all my buddies from the football team in high school. And I had this thought as I rocked out to this concert, uh, which was like the scariest place I had ever been because I think the scariest people within a hundred mile radius all came to that concert and I'm there just having a great time and loving the music. This is what we listened to. We worked out and stuff, but um, in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, what am I doing here? Like, Lord, help me get out of this alive. And, (laughs) and so I, I just recognized like, man, I'm, 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 you know, enjoying all this music. That's just not good for my soul. And, 
you know, went like from Metallica, kind of went to darker places from there. And uh, that kind of war for my mind was happening and the music I listened to, the anger that I experienced personally. And uh, at the same time, I knew I was a believer and I knew God called me to so much better to, you know, something more life giving than that. And uh, it was that summer that the Lord kind of pinned me down and said, hey, listen, are you going to try to do this thing where, you know, you keep one foot on this path and one foot on that path? And I felt like in his grace, he displayed to me that the paths, two paths I was trying to walk of following Jesus and um, just kind of doing my own thing, that those paths were going to get further and further apart. And my ever every effort to um, keep walking two paths was actually going to tear me apart. That's what it was doing internally. And so when I, and you know, the church growing up, I got saved when I was like about seven, but I didn't get baptized till I was 18. Part of that was just that baptism isn't something that happened in a church where it was all the same people every week. So, you know, people getting saved and baptized wasn't something I got to witness a lot of. Maybe I was just unaware as a child, but there was a baptism service coming up and the Lord told me it's time. And at 18 years old, that was not what any of my friends were doing. Um, So that to me was like, it was like a real declaration of this is who I am. Following Jesus is, is what I'm going to do. So having that, uh, kind of the development. Um, I just uh, spoke to someone in, uh, yesterday as part of an interview. He talked about the three ways, you know, God seems to call people. There's the lightning bolt. There's uh, the growing the conviction, and then there's the situational. Uh, you know, mm. boom! One day you're a pastor uh, by God's <laughs> providence, and so you know, seems that that growing conviction kind of grew and developed. In your yeah, abs- absolutely. When that came to a head, and I got baptized. I really can look back now and see that there was a new work of God in me. Mm. And there was something about that public profession that really kind of was a line in the sand for me. And looking back now, I, I can say that I definitely experienced that urgency to share my faith with other people. Mm. And I just... As I ventured into prayer, I had always, um, you know, been aware of God's word, but I was reading it. And as I tried it out for myself, uh, even just different principles from scripture and wanting to know more, um, two things happened. One, I just developed a concern for other people's souls. Just, I mean, my friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, my family. So I started to pray. And as I began to pray, I was shocked, amazed to discover that the Lord would answer my prayers, sometimes in unexpected ways, sometimes through, you know, pointing out Bible verses that I I hadn't noticed before, um, other times just giving me peace in my soul. And as I was fascinated with how amazing this relationship with Jesus could be, I found that all I wanted to do is share him with just one other person my whole life. Mm. And as God started to give me opportunities, it was kind of like falling down a flight of steps. Uh, Pretty soon, all I wanted was to win another person to Jesus and another person. And then it quickly became all I want to do 
is spend the rest of my life making not only disciples of Jesus, but disciple makers. Hmm. And I thought if, if by the time I step from this life to the next, I leave behind a whole bunch of folks who are in love with Jesus and making disciples of Jesus, then that'll be a life well lived. And Hmm. so the second thing that happened after that progression was that my pastor saw um, that fire burning inside of me, and he challenged me to lead at every conceivable opportunity. So whether it was helping out and moving chairs at church, um, or if it was, you know, giving me an opportunity to say a little devotional on at our sunrise service on Easter, or it was um, the big thing was he challenged me to start a, a Bible study for my friends which I did in my parents' home. I bribed them with pizza and uh, ping pong. And then we would talk about a Bible passage and pray together and go figure it worked. So two things, just falling in love with Jesus and wanting to share him, Mm -hmm. super simple. And um, then being given a chance before I was ready, before I knew what I didn't know, um, that chance is, is what the Lord used to convince me that I could take each next step towards ministry. Hmm. Well, and something I love that you you shared there was just doing it, and it wasn't anything complicated. You just got your friends together, got some food, played some ping pong, read a Bible verse, talked about it, and prayed. And, and I think that's something that for us, you know, that it doesn't need to be some super complicated door knocking, you know, megaphone kind of thing. Uh, just talk to the people that are in your sphere um, in the world that I work in as well. You know, it's all about your sphere of influence. So just go to that sphere around you and just get them together to, to talk about the word. And um, if you got to bribe them with food, that's okay. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Jesus brought the fish and loaves, right? So, um, yeah. So so from that yeah. place, then was, I'm in that current track, uh, you know, heading towards ordination in, in our denomination. But what did, what did that journey look like uh, for you? And just kind of describe it for those who maybe aren't familiar with it. Yeah, so I uh, um, I actually stepped into that journey when we had first gotten married. We uh, had transferred from the local community college to Asbury College, where I had a dismal academic um, uh, show, <laughs> but but a fantastic spiritual um, you know formation time. And then we wound up in ministry in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, first at a parachurch organization and then at the uh, local Free Methodist Church, Breckenridge Chapel. So while there, um, the pastor again identified uh, gifting and calling, and uh, I, the Lord challenged me to, to say the big yes of trusting him in a life of ministry. Mm-hmm. I had all these fears and I was putting it off. Uh, it's part of why I didn't succeed in school. I was fighting the call to ministry, trying to bargain with God for him to allow me to do anything other than ministry um, uh, because I was counting the cost. But when I finally said yes, uh, it was a year-long process called local ministerial candidacy. So becoming an LMC in the local church meant I would help out wherever the pastor asked me to help out. Um, I would help conduct our worship services. Um, I would learn from him. I would read some books, uh, take a class or two, and just start the formal process of signaling, 
yeah, this is my intent is to be discipled and just become a learner of how to do day-to-day ministry. So um, that was the status that I had for the first couple of years of ministry, being a local ministerial candidate. And then uh, eventually when I was back home and on staff at the church that I'd been hired at, uh, the church I grew up in had grown and hired me as a young staff member at 23. I um, later became a what's called a conference ministerial candidate, which is kind of when I got on the conferences radar and uh, was, you know, entered into a longer series of development, uh, taking classes, fulfilling my educational requirement, and for me, working in ministry and having ministry experiences along the way. So for me, it was really hands-on training. Uh, I I took that process that's supposed to be altogether um, four years, and I crammed that into a 10-year process. Um, so that part of that was life, uh, got, you know, was a young married guy having children with, um, you know, my, my wife and I were starting a family. And the other part of that was availability of classes. Um, you know, I had to travel, um, you know, out to the Midwest to Indianapolis three times to Michigan, to Illinois, um, and take time off of a full-time job to, uh, take, you know, some of my ordination classes and then do others. Um, you know, the internet wasn't, internet classes weren't a thing. <laughs> it makes me sound dated, but it was a challenge to fulfill all those requirements while working in full-time ministry and for part of that uh, full-time secular employment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, I took a long way around yeah. and finally got ordained mm-hmm. in 2009, which is 10 years after I became a local ministerial candidate. Okay. So, you know, from that more extended process then, um, you know, obviously still uh, invested in, and involved in ministry, what do you think that those experiences provided you then um, that maybe someone maybe just straight in school coming right into the pastorship then might not might not have gotten? Yeah, deep disappointment would be number one, <laughs> <laughs> followed by disillusionment, uh, despair, um, and the necessary process of being broken Mm. in order to understand that my intelligence, my hard work and all of the things that I thought I was bringing to the equation are going to be far short of what I need. Mm. And I think what the Lord, whether you take the, Bible college seminary and into a church track or you kind of do the around the horn track that I took regardless of what that looks like what the Lord eventually will do I'm convinced and anybody he wants to use in ministry is provide opportunities for us to experience legitimate suffering for the sake of the formation of Christ in us and for the effectiveness of the gospel ministry through us. Mm. And, you know, I I know I just came out really strong with that and (laughs) some of it was tongue in cheek, but the most devastated I've ever been is due to ministry difficulties. Mm. And not that I haven't had other pain, but um, the breaking experience 
of understanding what it's like to feel like I'm pushing that rock of the church's well-being up the hill. Mm-hmm. And if I step away, it's going to just run down the hill and learning that um, I have to find out how to do ministry, not under my power, but under the power of Jesus Christ, who said he will build the church. That's what I learned when I was appointed to a church of nine. Hmm. And that's what I learned when I planted a new church, um, uh, a different church than that. Uh, And it, it, it was a church plant. We put everything we had into it, and it failed after a year uh, after birth, despite our best efforts. I learned early in my ministry that I could be a part of a fast-growing church as a young staff member, that I could lead a church plant to failure, and that I could be appointed to a church, a rural church of nine, and then, through my brokenness, discover over five years of blood, sweat, and prayer that the Lord himself could even grow a small rural church to over 50. Mm. And I count that as a great accomplishment. Um, And the accomplishment is primarily that I learned how to run not on my own power, but on, Mm. on the power of grace. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what happens when you start doing ministry in your twenties and you have to, before you can learn what's important, you have to you have to discover what's not important, <laughs> and so um, that was a time uh, those ten years that I was discovering what it meant to be a pastor. Um, I discovered some of what I was reading in the New Testament um, about Paul's experience, about what Jesus invites us into. And now, um, through the experiences that I, I, I at first processed as just absolute failure, uh, I've kind of reframed those over the years and seen God's grace and mercy in those, um, because so much of what I learned in the first 10 years of ministry was about how I don't want to do ministry. Hmm. And, um, you know, the, 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 the most difficult experiences I had you know, typical of our God of, you know, who went to the grave uh, only to be resurrected. Um, I discovered that the, that um, sometimes the Lord allows us to and invites us into even experience um, painful circumstances that I couldn't fathom how it could be God's will that a church would close after we put everything into it. I couldn't fathom how, you know, I thought I had a bright future, but then seems to be, you know, uh, I, I had people tell me the church I took that was nine people, like, that's, that's not an appointment, that's a sentence. <laughs> um, and uh, processing through all of that and gaining the Lord's perspective, learning how to love the people that God has put in front of you, in uh, all of those things, man, I don't know if I ever would have learned any of that, if the Lord had not allowed me to experience those, those, those early failures in ministry. Mm. That's a that's a journey, <laughs> but it was a journey. I, I probably probably gave you more than you were asking for no, there. But no, it's, um, it's it's all that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what, what we I, want is is that is hearing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And so from from that place, then uh, you know, eventually, then pastor at, at New Life Ministries. And how long have you mm-hmm. been there for? 
So I was on staff at New Life from 2002 about um, 0102, um, which was a time of rapid uh, transformation for the church, growing out out of the original building, selling that, going mobile, finding a 54,000 foot three-story school building and moving into that. It was like stepping onto a moving train when I came in. <clears throat> and then uh, that was, I was 23. By the time I was 25, I was pastoring a church plant on Sunday nights and a church revitalization Sunday morning. Um, and then it, it uh, when, a little bit after I was 30, I came back on staff at New Life, did every imaginable role at New Life. Um, I was our family ministries pastor. Um, so working the ministries of children with children and teens, then became a site pastor for three years, um, led a site. Um, uh, and that was kind of a redemption story from the church plant to, mm. um, actually, you know, running a site different. And, and then I became our executive pastor in 2016 and our lead pastor in 2019. Mm. And what I've, been able to do and my passion now is to take all of the what i would call the unnecessary pain of doing ministry ways i would never try to reproduce and and, and create an environment and a culture at new life mm -hmm. where leaders can thrive and develop and experience health and ministry um you know i to say that I nearly burned out would not be accurate. I absolutely burned out hmm. in my early years in ministry. Um, I suffered from clinical depression, although I didn't know that's what that was called. Um, uh, and so, you know, um, if, if I had been wise enough to see somebody, <laughs> I could have gotten help, but I suffered in silence. Hmm. Uh, just thinking, um, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel bad all the time. And, and, you know, there's a couple days where I was so distraught, I literally could not get out of bed to go to work. And it wasn't physical, it was emotional. Mm -hmm. And so what I want, I'm passionate about now, I'm passionate, super passionate about raising up leaders. Um, I, I have deep conviction about that. So for all of our um, ministry candidates that are in development, all of our next level leaders at New Life, I'm passionate about raising up uh, leaders in a culture where, yes, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be challenges. Uh, the Lord puts all of us through those processes, but I that can be done in a, in a in a an environment that fosters growth in Christ, mm -hmm. fosters the growth of faith, fosters um, you know ministry um, success through mentoring relationships and a healthy culture. Mm -hmm. So that's what so that's the that's the story of where all that pain pays off. Yeah. And uh, now I get to create a culture that was different than the culture I came into ministry mm -hmm. and much more supportive when no one's left alone. And um, we have an environment that's now churning out uh, ministry candidates. Mm -hmm. So from that place, then, you know, transformation, how you saw ministry and how you want ministry to be for for uh, for future pastors as well. What was kind of the instigator then to leading you? Oh, I should go do seminary. Because we're in seminary oh, together, boy. and so, you know, now a pastor who's got it, you know, under his belt. He's a pastor for a long time, got yeah. a lot of stuff figured out. So so why seminary now? Like, from my perspective, oh, like, why gosh. is an old guy just starting seminary now, you know? Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, 
And this is this is this that was a mean thing to say, and because it's so accurate. <laughs> well, you know, on, on June twentieth, nineteen ninety four, that was the year before I was born. So Oh you know. no. Oh no. Oh, you're killing me, Joel. Well, uh yeah, so here's here's the beauty of it. So um I, I'm still unsure. Uh and I check in with my wife, um, like, should I be doing this? And and she continues to tell me. No, we, we, we really were in agreement. We sensed that the Lord said now is the time for seminary. So um, it's odd to me. I'm 46 years old. Um, I, I've got my dream job. Uh, it's going well. Um, the Lord's doing things in this time in ministry that he's never done in the history of the church. So I'm very, very thankful. And I could just just run the plan. Mm-hmm. And But I, I sense that the Lord said, hey, um, if you're really passionate about developing, um, I feel convicted that the Lord personally told me to raise up a hundred pastors into ministry before I retire. And this next month, two weeks, um, number four, after <laughs> 24 years of ministry, number four will be ordained. But um, I've got seven or eight in the queue. Uh, at New Life on the team, and I'm going to count all of the folks that they mentor into ministry. And so it's going to be like a geometric progression, God willing. And um, but I feel deeply convicted about that. And at this time, you know, I, I have been a student of the Word. Uh, I've been reading at least a book a week for on my own um, for years, um, trying to work towards two books a week. But I understand that there is learning that I can gain access to that's going to challenge me. And my ability to communicate um, in written and spoken form can only be sharpened by applying myself to the academic discovery process and submitting my work to more than a congregation, but a committed uh, group of Christ followers who have committed to be learners uh, alongside of me. So um, I question whether this is sane. Um, I've got four children, two are out of the house. Um, They've successfully launched, uh, praise God, but we're still raising two girls who are currently in eighth and 10th grade. And um, it's, it's too much. It really is, but um, it's a, it's a good experience to expand my, not only my base of knowledge, but my functional ability to communicate the gospel. And that's, that's really long-term what I, you know, am in this for. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just know, you know, from our discussions, you know, getting together regularly and talking, you know, even just our, our outlook and our perspective on, you know, what scripture is saying about the world has been vastly improved and filled with hope. Um, you know, at least I know for myself and, you know, I know for, for you as well, just, you know, maybe looking at things differently and, and kind of readjusting, not that things that we believed were wrong, but you know, they were maybe like a half step off. Um, I, I would definitely say some of the things I believe were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, what I didn't expect Joel is I expected, uh, to be in, in this seminary thing. I, so long ago, I, divorced myself from the idea that seminary made pastors 
that I, I believe that's the church's job. Uh, seminary provides theological education. I think that's what uh, the folks at Northeastern Seminary are very clear about. That uh, you know, talking to Doug Collum over the years, he's he said before, it's the church's job to make and train pastors. It's the seminary's job to provide theological education. And while I am, you know, going to be learning um, about ministry uh, at this stage of the game, I, I don't need to. That's not what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm constantly growing through other training, through other sources in that. But um, what what I am deeply valuing and didn't expect is that um, turns out seminary was immediately helpful. Mm-hmm. I had not <laughs> planned on this. I thought this would be a long-term investment and the, the subject matter that you and I are in class together on, um, th- that subject matter pertained and has informed um, whole series that I have preached in the church. And I find even in my pastoral care, um, day to day, um, talking to the regular folks who are part of the church, um, I can hear myself bringing content to help others that's informed by what we're learning in just my first semester of seminary. So um, I, I, I sort of had dimmed my hopes <laughs> of this. I thought this is just going to be fuel in the tank. This is going to be new learning and uh, someday it'll be applicable when, you know, all of the connections are made. I wasn't prepared for it to be immediately applicable, mm-hmm. but I've been delighted to find out that it has been. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful to hear and uh, look forward to continue to do classes with you. There's a Charles Likewise. Spurgeon quote. I there's a Charles Spurgeon quote I love. He talks about living in the Bible, but reading many good books. And you know, we're transformed, mm. changed by the Holy Spirit uh, through the Word of God. But but what have been one or some of those good books that you've enjoyed, appreciated, or have been really uh, helpful to you? Mm, yeah, I I absolutely am glad that somebody told me early on, uh, leaders are readers, and. Uh, the Bible is my every day for all time. Like John Wesley said, I am a man of one book, <laughs> but he, but he also wrote dozens of books and he read, um, you know, hundreds. So if not thousands, um, so yeah, I have a, I have a little bit of an Amazon habit. Um, it's, it's a known thing. It might be my worst vice. Um, but I'd say early on, um, Robert Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism changed my life. In that book, I've been through it four or five times over the years. But when I was a local ministerial candidate, just trying to discover what a call to ministry might be, I read that book, which described Jesus' intentional time with his disciples and how Jesus spent perhaps if if the gospel texts are evidence, he he spent perhaps 75, 80% of his time with the 12. Mm-hmm. So the functional time in ministry Jesus spent, he, he, he ministered to the masses, but he intentionally poured himself into a few. Mm-hmm. And um, it's easy to get disconnected from that reality when you're in the weekly churn of Sunday's coming. Because you're thinking about how are we presenting on Sunday? How are we going to lead the whole church? Um, And then how are we going to run the programs? And right now, uh, 24 years into ministry, I found myself leading, which is good. Uh, I'm, you know, leading 
the executive team. I have, you know, uh, three staff members I primarily pour into. Um, but what is it like for me to just flat out disciple somebody, not for the purpose of a job at church and for getting all the things done? But what does it what does it look like for me? So I just prayed. I said, Lord, give me a couple people just to mm-hmm. walk alongside with. And, and maybe I could pour into them for a year. The most fruitful pastors I know, the most fruitful pastors who produce the most leaders, who launch the most new churches. Um, I've repeatedly heard those pastors. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, they must have their executive leadership all together and this and that. You know what they also do? They walk alongside one or two people for a year, discipling mm-hmm. them with the expectation that that person is going to turn around and disciple someone. So mm-hmm. I prayed that prayer in January and a month later I looked and the Lord pointed out to me, I just gave you two people to disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm meeting with those people one-on-one. It takes some time. It's not efficient, but you know what? Over time, I'm confident that these two men that the Lord gave me are going to turn around. They're experiencing deep transformation. They're getting involved in the ministry of the church. Uh, they're attending uh, groups, but my personal pouring into them are uh, is going to produce fruit as they turn around and make disciples with what I've poured mm-hmm. into them. So all that's to say, Robert Coleman's master plan uh, of evangelism, um, uh, and and there have been many many other books. Um, that have just, you know, shaped and reshaped my life. That's one that um, early in ministry mm. really kind of shaped my perspective for mm. multiplication through uh, discipleship. Mm. Well, definitely a, a, a book to add to my list for my Amazon habit as well, um, <laughs> as I'm sure my wife will attest to. But uh, definitely something that, you know, maybe we need to look at our ministries and, and for, for ourselves and, you know, look at who we're pouring into individually uh, for that. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much for taking the time for joining me and telling me your story and your journey, where you are today and and where you're going. Joel, thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, God bless you and uh, your listeners. Awesome. Well, I also want to thank the sponsor for the show. It's Blue Water Free Methodist Church. We're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. Our hope, our goal, our vision is to encourage those seeking pastoral ministry already in pastoral ministry or might not know what God has for them, and maybe it's to be a pastor. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Please subscribe, please leave a rating, and we will see you next episode on the Pastor's Call podcast. God bless.